So uh, last week in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul was encouraging the church at Thessalonica because they had gotten some false information, false letter or just rumors going around that Jesus Christ had returned already. So Paul wanted to put their minds at ease and to say, listen, Jesus hasn't returned yet and he won't return until something happens. And he talks about uh, an individual that's going to come on the scene that he calls the man of lawlessness because he's going to preach against law and he's going to preach against God. And not only is this individual who is being with restrained from Paul's time to our time today, not only is he being restrained, but the time is going to come that the restrainer is going to get out of the way and let this individual fully come on the scene. And there's going to be uh, a rebellion in the church. There's going to be, be an apostasy because this man is going to have the ability to fool a lot of people. And we talked about a warning last week of those who are Christian in name only those who might talk the talk but not walk the walk as Christians. And we encouraged you to see that we gotta be in close relationship with Jesus Christ as our savior. And we should never take him for granted. We should never drift away. We always need to be drawn back time and time again into a close relationship with him. And the prophecy talked about how this individual is gonna be empowered by Satan and he's going to be given certain abilities to actually perform miracles. But they're not the kind of miracles that draw you to God. They're going to be the kind of miracles that draw you to him. And he's going to preach against God, for example, that you know all the religions of the world are nothing more than fairy tales. That God that you've been worshiping doesn't really exist. He's going to preach that he is God. And he is going to be able to do certain things that are going to make a lot of people believe that he is God. So there's going to be a great falling away. There's going to be a rebellion. There's going to be a period of anarchy in the world. You know, can you imagine what it's going to be like if all of a sudden everybody who is a religious person or worships, no matter what the religion is, to find out that their religion is in vain. That's what this man is going to be able to convince them of. So this is going to go on until Jesus Christ returns. And when Jesus Christ returns, he is going to quickly do away with this individual. He's going to be uh, killed. He's going to be stopped and put away for good. So that was the gist of last week's sermon. And when I said that that was just part one, Today, in part two, we're going to look at a different view of this individual that is actually found in the book of Revelation. So we're going to turn to Revelation chapter 13. As we turn to the book of Revelation, we're going to notice that this account is going to look a lot different. Paul's version of this prophecy that we read last week was very to the point uh, he didn't uh, add a lot of unnecessary stuff to what he had to say to the people. But when we turn to the book of Revelation, the account we're going to read here is going to be quite different. 
There's some things that we have to be reminded of when it comes to the book of Revelation. It's a unique book. The book of Revelation, of course, is different from any other book of the Bible. Revelation is the only book, and we're looking at the New Testament in this case, that is written in the style of what they called apocalyptic literature. And that's why one of the names for the book of Revelation is the Apocalypse. <laughs> apocalyptic literature was in style from 200 BC to 100 AD. And it was very popular among Jewish writers. They produced a large number of books in this style. Now, only one of them, the book of Revelation, made it into the Bible. But you hear tell of a lot of other titles, a lot of other names, books that are in the apocalyptic style that were indeed written during this period of time. But like I said, only the book of Revelation among them is considered inspired. Apocalyptic literature, uh, as I said, was very popular. There were a lot of books. Apocalypse means revelation. So the first verse of the book of Revelation is actually in, entitled in verse 1, chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or you could call it the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who directly inspired John to write this book. Some characteristics of apoc apocalyptic literature are when you read through the book of Revelation, you'll notice that angels appear as tour guides and interpreters throughout the book. So angels are there to kind of explain what all the things mean that the writer writes about. Also, uh, these books, including the book of Re Revelation, were written during a period of severe persecution on the church. So suffering of believers is a common theme. And certainly you see that in the book of Revelation. We're going to read about it a little bit. Third, a third characteristic of apoc apocalyptic literature is there is a use of vivid images and symbols. That's the type of literature this was. You'll read about monsters, dragons, symbolic numbers and names depicting the conflict between good and evil. So we'll see a little bit of that too in uh, chapter 13. So keep in mind, this view of the man of lawlessness is going to differ considerably from what Paul wrote about in his letter to the Thessalonians, or Thessalonians rather. So let's begin in Revelation 13, verse 1. Now keep in mind, this is writing about the same individual, but notice how different it is. John writes here, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. So instead of it being a man, it's now a beast because a beast depicts a bad guy, something evil, something dangerous. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. Wow. You talk about a different style of writing, quite different from what Paul wrote that we read about last week. Now, it's not my place here today to explain to you what each of these symbols mean. Some of them I think we can get a pretty good grasp of, but some of them are kind of iffy. 
So in uh, verse 2, this particular description, he goes on to say, The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power. So the dragon we know is Satan. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Now that takes us back to Thessalonians because Paul said the one who's going to be behind the scenes giving this guy his ability to perform miracles and, you know, such a, a spell he's going to hold on people, that's all Satan's doing. So sure enough, John here says that it's the dragon, Satan the devil, who's behind the scenes empowering him and bringing this all about. He's the one who, who gives him a throne to sit on, and he's the one who gives him great authority. Now hold your place here, and we'll turn back to Daniel chapter 7. Because Revelation isn't the only book in the Bible. It's the only book in the New Testament, but it's not the only book in the Bible that has some aspects of ap apocalyptic literature in it. The book of Daniel does, too. Daniel 7, beginning in verse 2. Well, we'll begin in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision... Now, notice that this is going to correspond to the beast that we just read about, because it seems that maybe John was influenced by this scripture here in the comparison of this man of lawlessness to a beast. Daniel said, in my vision at night I looked, and there, there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. I forget, John said this individual is going to come out of the sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man. So this beast he's describing is the man that we're talking about, the man of lawlessness. And the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before this horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully like the man of lawlessness is going to do claiming to be God as I looked thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat so now eventually the return of Jesus Christ his clothing was as white as snow the hair of his head was white like wool his throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze 
A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. The time of judgment at Jesus' return. So that's a little bit of apocalyptic literature there in the book of Daniel as well. But back here to Revelation now. So when John was writing his book describing this same man of lawlessness... Perhaps God inspired him to kind of reach back into Daniel. And when it came to describing this guy in a very apocalyptic way, he used some of the same vision, some of the same description, some of the same even uh, words that Daniel used to describe this man in prophecy. So keep in mind... Daniel was written much earlier, before Jesus uh, came the first time. And when the Jews read the book of Daniel and read that prophecy, they thought that it was fulfilled by a man around the year 164 B.C. named Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a ruler who held sway over the Middle East. I believe he was Greek held sway over the Middle East at that time, and he came in and desecrated the temple. He was a very despicable individual, and uh, he came and set up worship, the wrong kind of worship, in the temple of God in Jerusalem. And I believe he was the one responsible for sacrificing pigs in the temple, which of course was against Old Testament law and just caused a a tremendous rebellion amongst the, the Jewish people. Many people died at that time. And Antiochus Epiphanes ended up dying a very painful death. So the Jews, I think, looked at Antiochus Epiphanes as the fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel. But now came Paul in Thessalonians, and he gave the prophecy of the man of lawlessness. And remember, we talked last week about when he wrote his letter to the church at Thessalonica, he was very secretive. He, he didn't give much detail. And I think, and a lot of scholars believe that Paul thought that it was Nero who was fulfilling that prophecy, because Nero was the ruler in Paul's day. And you know what? When Paul wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica, he had to be careful because if that letter fell in the wrong hands and people read, Romans read about what he was writing about this ruler who's going to be swept out of the way by the return of Jesus Christ, Paul and the church could have caused undue persecution to come on themselves. They had enough persecution as it was living under the, the rule of the Roman Empire at that time. But I think that Paul thought that the fulfillment of the prophecy he wrote there in Thessalonians was being fulfilled by Nero. But you know what? Nero came and went too, just as Antiochus Epiphanes did. So is there still a future fulfillment of this prophecy that still kind of awaits us? That's one of the questions that we ask. But back here now to Revelation 13. He goes on to describe this individual in a much more picturesque way than Paul did. And like I said, we don't know if we understand the full meaning of of all of these uh, vivid descriptions and the imagery. We're back here to Revelation 13 and verse... uh, 
3, notice it talks about a beast that had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound was healed. Fatal means deadly. Now, don't forget, we talked about last week that this individual, Satan, is, is putting on a parody of Jesus' life, Jesus' return. And it's almost like it's a play acting of what Jesus is going to fulfill once and for all. But this guy is like a false Christ. And many of the things prophesied for Jesus, he tries to live out in his ministry. So one of the things is somebody who dies and comes back to life. Maybe that's one of the miracles he's going to be able to perform. And that mimics what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross, but then was resurrected back to life by God the Father. Verse 4, it says, Men worshipped the dragon, Satan, because he had given authority to the beast. So by worshipping the beast, by worshipping the man of lawlessness, you're worshipping Satan, is what he's saying here. So they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? So this guy is going to be very charismatic. He's going to sweep people off uh, their feet. Maybe he's going to be a very handsome, powerful uh, type of individual that people are just going to be convinced that they, they have to follow him. Let's read on a little bit further. Verse 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. So we read about in Thessalonians how he is going to put God down. He's going to convince people that the only God they need to worship is himself. And that every other God is a fairy tale. That if you believe in that Christian God or that Jewish God or that Muslim God, uh, you have been deceived. He is the only God. And you know, I can, I can imagine the sway he's going to hold over the world. Because we all worship God who, to most people, is not here present. You know, God is invisible. You can't see him. Now, we as Christians know and believe that he's here with us right now, God is. But this guy is going to be physical and available, and I'm sure he's going to be broadcast on every channel, cable channel, network channel, and people are going to see him. You know, we believe in Jesus as our Savior because we have read about him. Eyewitnesses have read uh, or written stories that we read, and we believe by faith. You know, Jesus said to the apostles one time, you know, you are with me, you see me and you believe. Blessed are those who don't see me and believe. That's us, because God has given us faith to believe. Faith is very important to us. It is very important to God. But this individual is going to be present to them. And I think it's going to be easier for people. You know, no faith is necessary because they can see the guy on the evening news. They can see the things that he does. So they're going to say, who is like this individual? Who can make war against him? Verse 5 as we read, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words, and he's going to do a lot of talking. He's going to condemn religion, 
He's going to, you know, draw people to himself. And it says here that he exercises his authority for 42 months. You know how long Jesus' earthly ministry was? Three and a half years, which is 42 months. That's how long Jesus, when he began to teach, and he actually began his ministry to the time he eventually departed back to heaven. It's another parody of Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. Verse 6, it says, He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So he's even going to be slandering God, the heavenly host. Uh, he's not going to hold back. Verse 7, he was given power to make war against the saints. Uh-oh, this could be bad news. He's going to be persecuting the church. And it's funny, you know, people of all religions, why does he purposely pick on the saints? My feeling is, when you come right down to it, he knows who his adversary is the God that we worship. So his anger, his fury is going to be poured out against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So this is going to be a true worldwide ruler. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. So we, we are the ones whose names are written in the book of life belonging to the lamb. You know, the Bible tells us that. Turn with me to Philippians 4 verse 3. Notice what Paul says here. Philippians 4, 3. Yes, and I ask you, he's talking to the church members in Philippi, loyal yoke fellow, help these women, the women he talked about earlier in the chapter, who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement, and the rest of my fellow workers, Paul says, whose names are in the book of life. So when you accept Jesus as your savior, when you repent and look to him to be forgiven of your sins and become a follower of Jesus, your name is written in the book of life. Now, whether there's a literal book, doesn't have to be, it means the same. Your name is registered. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You become one of God's people. So notice it says here, who is going to worship this beast? All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. So you know what? There's going to come a time when a division is going to be made. There are many parables in the Bible that talk about a time when the sheep are separated from the goats. Okay. The sheep are together with the goats now in this age, but there's coming a time when a separation is going to take place. Who are God's people and who are not? There's also a, a prophecy or a parable in the Bible. I don't have the exact scripture right now where Jesus talked about 
a separation of the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> you know, the wheat is going to be separated and the chaff is, is worthless. It's going to be thrown into the fire. So this is going to be a time of separation where it's going to become evident which people belong to God and which don't. And unfortunately, as you lead up to this period of time, there's going to be persecution against those who are truly God's people. But God's people are going to be strong because we're strengthened by God himself and the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to worship the beast because our names are written in the book of life belonging to the lamb. Notice the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. What does that mean? Well, as I said in the opening prayer, when God created us, when he created the human race, he knew in advance because God knows the future from the past. He knows everything. And he knew in advance when he created us that we were not going to be able to live the righteous life that God lives. So way back when, he already had a plan for our salvation. He already then knew that he was going to send his son one day to this earth to become one of us, to live that perfect life that we couldn't live, to die, to go to the cross, then to be resurrected and ascended back up to heaven. And God's plan was and is that if we humble ourselves, repent to him and look to him, that perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is going to be credited to us. Because our righteousness, however much we can muster up, will never be good enough. The prophet Isaiah said in a prayer to God, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. He, he got it. He saw what God was doing and what God intended. So, yeah, we're to try to live the best life that we can live. But we who understand truly about Jesus and understand about grace and understand about God's plan and God's mind, we're to do our best, but we know that our best is never good enough. <laughs> and the only people that are going to get into heaven and into an eternal reward are the people who have been clothed with Christ's righteousness. Remember the parable of the wedding feast? <clears throat> and all the people are in there at the reception and... Uh, the, the person in charge comes around and finds a guy who doesn't have the proper wedding garment on. And what happens? He gets tossed out. So maybe he thought that his own righteousness could get him in there, but it can't. You know, when uh, we accept Jesus as our Savior, the Bible describes it as we put on a garment, a garment of righteousness. A white garment. It is a wedding garment that we're going to wear at the wedding feast at Jesus' return. Okay, back here to Revelation chapter 13. So everybody, the whole world is going to worship this individual except those whose names have been written in the book. Verse 9, here's an, an added inducement to us. He who has an ear... In other words, he who has been given understanding by God, let him hear. Pay attention to what this says. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. So is God referring to this future time? 
when we have to deal with this individual who's going to be persecuting the church? It could be. I don't know. We certainly would hope not, but it's going to be a test for us as Christians. Notice he goes on to say, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. So is there still before us a time when this individual is going to show up and do his thing, his evil thing, empowered by Satan? Now, the Jews thought that it was Antiochus Epiphanes, and he certainly fit the bill back in 164 B.C. The early church thought, it was, that, thought that it was Nero, and he certainly fit the bill. Or is it yet a, a future individual? I'd like to look at just a couple more scriptures of encouragement. From 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John, just a couple pages back. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Anybody who is opposed to Jesus Christ can carry that name Antichrist, but he's talking about one individual. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would not have remained with us. They would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So he's talking about a rebellion in his day where a lot of people left the church. Notice uh, verse 24. See that what you have heard from the beginning, the gospel, remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promises us, eternal life. So maybe at the time of the coming of the man of lawlessness, a lot of people who considered themselves to be Christians, but they really weren't, they're not going to remember what they learned from the beginning. And they weren't careful that it remain in them, the truth of who God is and who Jesus is and who we are in Jesus. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. You know, there are going to be liars coming around, like the man of lawlessness. So don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this man of lawlessness is certainly going to be a, a false prophet, the chief of them all. Verse 2, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So this false prophet is not going to preach that. He's going to preach, you know what? All this that you believed about Jesus is a fairy tale. You were duped. It's nonsense. He's going to say, I'm the one to be worshipped. But know, know what you know. And don't lose it. Okay? Verse 3, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So, words of warning. You're a Christian, you better know that you are. You better know what you believe in. One more, back here to 2 Thessalonians. Harkening back to Paul's warning to that church. After he talks all about this man of lawless, lawlessness and what's going to happen with him, 
in uh, chapter 2, verse 13. He says, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. You know, one thing about the church in America is we have never had to deal with much serious persecution. And it could be one reason why the church in America, to some extent, is kind of lax and lethargic and not growing right now. You know, when you read through the book of Acts, it seems like it was the churches that were under intense persecution mostly by the Roman Empire in those days and by, from the Jews, they were the churches that were growing. Those were the, the church members that were active and involved. And I wonder before it's all said and done that God is going to kind of wake us out, wake us up from our slumber and allow persecution to come on the church so we can test ourselves as to where we truly stand. And Christianity no longer will be something that's just kind of taken for granted. And, uh, you know, you get involved when you feel like it. Most of the time you don't feel like it. And you go to church when you feel like it. Most of the time you don't feel like it. I think that God is going to kind of test us. And like I said, kind of shake the tree a little bit to see who might fall out. And falling out is not a good thing. <laughs> Remaining close to the trunk of the tree and holding on by the strength of God is what's important. So I am not the expert on what all these prophecies mean. Someone asked about them, so I thought we'd take some time and go through them. We'll see how things unfold. And there might be some surprises. It may turn out this way, or it might be somewhat different. God wants to warn us to be on guard, be prepared, because the way things have been going lately in our world and in our country, we don't know what to expect. But we do have the truth of God and we have a rock that we lean on. We have a fortress and that is our God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the words of warning for us today. We know that we all need to be tested. We all need to be proved that our salvation is secure. So, Father, help us. We know that you enjoy seeing faith when we trust and depend on you. You really appreciate that. So help us to do that even more as a congregation and as individuals in the church. So, Father, we know that you're in charge. No matter what happens, no matter how these prophecies might unfold, you are in charge always. So draw us closer and closer to you. Help us to find our faith in you, our dependence in you. You're our rock, and we love you for it. So, Father, it gives us peace. It gives us encouragement for the future, that no matter what person might stand up and uh, do whatever he's going to do, 
that we are your people now and forever. So thank you, Father. We ask your protection now as we go home and over this uh, coming uh, night and, and tomorrow morning. We know that a snowstorm is expected. So, Father, watch over us. Set your angels round about us. We appreciate it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.